we have to make nature real. We have to help people understand that there is nature in a city like Chicago. And with that, enrich the world that they live in and the possibilities that exist because of it. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Matt, I am fantastic. How are you? <laughs> I am fantastic as well. Good to see you. You want me to elaborate on fantastic? I would love that. <laughs> well, you, as I can see in your background, are clearly at a Margaritaville property. So that is definitely one of the Jimmy Buffett type slogans of being fantastic. It also ties directly into dolphins. And we're going to talk to Megan Curran from Shed Aquarium today, who has Pacific white-sided dolphins, not to be confused with bottlenose dolphins. That's just one little tidbit I know about the dolphins at Shed Aquarium. Well, I thought this was going to be the Dolphin Pros podcast, and you were going to you know, regale us with your knowledge about dolphins. Thus concludes my knowledge about that. <laughs> so I actually have a question for you before we get to this interview. Sure. When you go to a museum or a cultural institution or even a theme park, are you one that likes a prescriptive or directed experience? Or would you rather wander? That's a good question. And I don't know if I have a concrete answer to that. My <laughs> vary based on the circumstance and the situation. I think if I'm very time constricted, then I think I'm very agenda driven. But if I'm going for the purpose of going, then I'm usually uh, a little uh, less relying on the on the prescribed route or, or way to have the experience. What about you? Um, I think as I reflect on this interview, I'm a little bit of both. I'm mostly a wanderer. Um, I think, but as you'll hear my, my question to Megan, you know, when I, when I first get in, I don't want to miss anything, um, but I don't know that I'm yet ready to have the full experience. And so I don't know what I am at the beginning, right? But I do know that I want to make sure I get a lot out of this experience. And when I'm, when I'm walking out the door, I want to have, you know, more knowledge in my head than when I walked in. And that's, that's really motivating to me about going to places like a museum or someplace that, that, that really focuses on education as well as entertainment. So I think mm. my answer varies as well. I also know that it varies if I'm at Cedar Point, Millennium Force, I don't need to see anything else. Well, I mean, I do, but you know, I'm gonna make a beeline to the things that I, I absolutely wanna do if I've been there before. If I've never been there before though, I really feel like I wanna take it all in. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And I, and I don't want to miss anything when I'm, when I'm first starting out. Right. And I think that that's an important thing to think about, particularly as it relates to your guest experience is, are you allowing guests that opportunity to get lost a little bit and kind of find their way and maybe stumble upon something that perhaps they hadn't expected? Uh, and, or are you making sure that you are best serving those guests who maybe they have a checklist they've got, whether it's an amusement park, there's that list of rides, or there is this list of exhibits. I want to make sure I see this animal, this animal, this animal, this animal. And when I do that, then my experience will be complete and, uh, and making sure you're, you're able to serve. I, I wouldn't even call that binary kind of the full spectrum of, of guests who like those types of experiences. Well, and what you just said really made me think about the different ways that I might interact with a theme park versus a museum or an aquarium. Because maybe wrongly, I'm not looking to learn anything when I go to a theme park, right? <laughs> I'm looking to experience rides and areas and immersive experiences. But when I go to a, a museum or a, an aquarium, I want to actually learn and be educated, right? So even just thinking about this and reflecting on it, on it for me personally, 
I do interact with those those facilities in a much much different way. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you know what this uh, kind of reminds me of, and this is uh, just sort of pulling things from other interviews that we've done. I recently I went to to Meow Wolf's location in Las Vegas, Omega Mart. Not an aquarium in the least bit whatsoever, but when we talked to Vince uh, not too long ago, the founder of Meow Wolf, talked about the importance of giving guests agency and kind of letting them have that unprescribed path. So it's really cool to see how that transcends the entire attractions industry. Absolutely. So we get to hear Megan talk about that as it relates to the aquarium. We also get to hear her talk about um, some data that they've received and how that has really informed their decisions about what the guest experience could and should be uh, at the aquarium. And it's just fascinating to hear, you know, some of the things that they weren't expecting to, to get out of that, uh, that particular exercise. Yeah, and as a guest feedback enthusiast, I definitely am thinking <laughs> out about everything that they do from an audience insight standpoint. So I'm really excited about this interview, and I say we uh, we dive right in to uh, this chat with Megan Coran. It'll make a splash. Hey, Megan, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're really excited to chat with you today. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Nice to see you both and glad to be here today. Yeah, nice to see you as well. Uh, so to get this kicked off here, can you give us just a, a quick intro and a little uh, background on your career? Sure. I have been here at Shed for over 20 years and in a, an array of kind of growing roles in that brand and customer experience space. I came to Shed from a, a, an advertising agency called Chicago Creative Partnership, where I really gravitated toward understanding customers, understanding what they're interested in, wanting to learn kind of what makes their decision-making tick and what is their experience with product. And I always gravitated toward the nonprofit side and Shed became my client. And so I jumped from the agency side of working with Shed Aquarium to the client side um, after about five years at the agency and and throughout my career have built my um, kind of my work around making sure that the voice of the guest is considered, that we watch kind of what we're learning and how they're behaving and how they're interacting to continue to better serve, to you know better attract and to continue to build on success. And so I've always valued the fact that Shed Aquarium has has valued and, and protected the resources to make sure that we have audience insight when we make big decisions and um, have grown from someone who is a marketer to now someone who oversees our full experiential brand from the marketing and the guest facing staff through to our learning programs and experiences, our exhibits and our brand design. And so a really big suite of all of the ways that we intersect with guests. Um, Gosh, I think it's the luckiest job in the world and I really love to do it. People are so interesting and at a place like this, there's just so much opportunity to take what we learn and strive for a better world, for better experiences, for you know, happy people. Um, it's a great opportunity. Megan, I'm curious, what was it like that transition from the agency to actually working for Shed? I'm, I'm imagining a lot of different relationships and just even a different approach. So I'm wondering if you can kind of walk us through that a little bit. Sure. The biggest change from moving from an agency side to the client side, to the Shed side, the biggest reason why I wanted to do that is when you're in an agency, you're constantly in that opportunity where you pitch, but you don't always hear all of the decision-making and how a decision gets tweaked. And um, I wanted to be in a decision-making seat. I wanted to test and trust my gut. And I wanted more information from across the organization, from the guests, from the other departments to help inform and make better recommendations. And so I saw it as a natural progression. I had learned what I could from the client side and could have expanded to other types of clients, other types of businesses, but I was so interested in what was happening at Shed Aquarium in that type of business that I wanted to deep dive and learn more about what happens in an experiential brand um, and how all of those things tick and tie together. 
That's so interesting. And uh, really intrigued by what you mentioned a few minutes ago of making sure that the voice of the guest is considered. And I think that the kind of the overarching question that I have there is really about the intersection between marketing and guest experience. Because I, I, I feel like in majority of organizations, those would be very separate functions who would hopefully talk to each other to make sure that the decisions kind of serve the the whole organization, uh, but kind of being wrapped up into one title, into one role, uh, how does that impact uh, kind of uh, the, the decisions perhaps that you're looking for with audience insights and really kind of looking at that, that intersection and balance between marketing and guest experience? Yeah, it's so interesting to me because I see marketing and guest experience as completely interdependent. We talk at, at the aquarium, we have animals and we talk about symbiotic relationships that there are clownfish who protect themselves within anemones that would often, you know, often da be dangerous to other animals, but protect the anemones and they need each other because they each are mutually beneficial. Marketing and guest experience to me is the same huge portion of the way people come to a destination is through word of mouth. And they're not going to come back if they don't have a great experience. And you also need marketing to be driving the right people in so that you've got a really good, um, a really good understanding, a good message out there that matches the experience. Um, I've seen times where the brand communication is out of sync with the actual experience and you start to experience dissonance and dissatisfaction. So in my mind, they are completely mutually dependent on each other and having them in the same realm gives an opportunity for that dialogue of, we're hearing complaints about this. Can we start thinking about how we um, adapt the way we handle pre-visit communication or marketing? We, we're over-promising here. We need to really be thinking about our message. And I think having them in the same division, which they have been for much of my time here at the aquarium, has really helped create that opportunity for two-way communication. What we're hearing on social media helps improve the guest experience. What we're hearing from guests is improving the way we communicate with them before they arrive. And all of those things working really well together helps make sure that they're talking to their friends and family and encouraging them to come, which drives our word of mouth and helps us continue to be successful. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned that if people aren't having a great time or don't have a great experience, they're not going to come back, right? Um, so what are those things that you do to help encourage people to keep coming back, right? You know, I'm sure that there's, there's different programs and, and not just static exhibits and, you know, all those things that would, would uh, keep, uh, keep people coming back. Um, but what are some of the other things that uh, really entice people to uh, keep visiting? Sure. I have a couple, a couple things that I'd love to say there. First of all, I think nothing does better than exceptional experience. And so making sure that we're constantly doing a really, really good job of taking care of people. And if, if we ever are not delivering that we're able to have the mechanisms in place to follow up with them and make it right. Um, that's baseline. That's kind of the foundation you have to have to build on. One of the things that I'm really excited about is we're currently um, beginning to talk publicly about our centennial commitment. And our centennial commitment is a mix of programmatic as well as you know full infrastructure exhibit changes here at the aquarium and is really driven to modernize animal care and welfare as well as the guest experience here at SHED. And we are working really hard to make sure that we make our experience more participatory. We give people more things to do. Um, we make sure that they have more opportunity to interact with a staff member. We know that those things make them more satisfied. In addition, the aquarium is a nonprofit and we have a vision to have a world thriving with aquatic life sustained by people who love, understand and protect it. And to do that, we know that those personal interactions deliver um, people who are more willing to take action for animals that we, we've already measured. And we know that those interactions work to complement our exhibits and take the baseline um, data even up higher. And so a lot of those things are the investments we're making in encouraging people to come back, making sure that we can meet them where they are, that we can have a real true person to person interaction and that they can look nature in the eye and walk away with a real personal experience. 
Um, I would also add that we're going to continue to create interconnectivity between visits by making sure that there's ways digitally and in nature for them to continue to interact with the aquarium so that you're, you know, people come generally every two years, but there's other ways via social media, via other digital interactions or in nature experiences that you could stay connected and hopefully move further along the line toward taking action for animals. What's the importance of the uh, the personal connection, kind of the, the human interaction element of the guest experience? Uh, guests are coming to see the animals, are coming to see the, the dolphins, the, the belugas. What element of so that, that human interaction uh, really helps to amplify that experience? And when you look at guest satisfaction, you look at people wanting uh, wanting to do more in their own lives towards you know towards conservation and all that. Uh, how does the the I would say face to face employee to guest interaction help to fuel that? Sure, um, we absolutely will have stunning vistas where you can sit and commune with nature and be eye to eye with magnificent animals, um, whether it be in a beautiful Caribbean reef tunnel or in expanded habitats throughout the, the gallery system. And that in and of itself is absolutely um, the, the more immersive and complex habitats drive a lot of intrigue, understanding, really good learning objectives, all of those pieces. Um, there are a lot of things that you can't that you can't understand necessarily at face value. People won't protect what they don't understand or what they don't connect to. And sometimes, for instance, there's an archer fish that has the most amazing behavior. The archer fish, I don't know, Josh, if you've ever seen this picture at the aquarium, but there's a new interactive down in Wild Reef and we've done demonstrations where to feed, it, it spits basically a projectile up to a leaf, knocks an insect off the leaf and swims forward and catches it. And that is its feeding behavior. You can't see that all day, every day. But our facilitated engagements can help you see that. We can use interactives to do that. And animals have the most amazing adaptations and ways of being and ways of thriving in all kinds of different climates and environments. And so the layer of the facilitated experiences might be to understand the salinity of water in different oceans because it's much saltier in some oceans than others. It might be to look in a microscope and understand a microbiome of what are all the other things that are in the water in Lake Michigan or in the river and if we build islands to oxygenate the south branch of the river, how does that change over time? And what does a healthy ecosystem look like compared to one that doesn't have enough oxygen in its water? And all of those things are things that we can do to help people understand more holistically, um, especially in an urban center like Chicago, what nature is, what makes it up, what's fascinating about it, and how we might all together do really small things that seem disconnected that will make a difference in a world that we depend on, whether we know it or not. Yeah, Megan, you said two things that I feel like they connected um, uh, a minute ago. You said to look nature in the eye, right? And then also taking action for the animals. And I think they do go hand in hand, at least in my mind, because the more you get exposed to you know, what a beluga whale does or you know, what that looks like and, and getting to know the the feeding habits of the of the specific fish and things like that that's when you start to feel like oh there's maybe something i can do once i once i've seen that so what are the specific things that shed does to help people look the the animals in the eye right look nature in the eye you know over and above since i haven't been there josh is much more lucky lucky than i have uh, to be there but what are those specific things that you do to really pull people in and let them look nature in the eye sure so one of the things that will happen in our centennial commitment are major exhibit overhauls. So more and more exhibits becoming multi-species um, set up with habitats that are really rich, that bring the animals forward, that give you new interesting views to, um, to observe them. For instance, coral looks different from above than it does from, from face in. And so providing views that let you see what it looks like from above um, we've talked about an octopus 
habitat where you might have some interesting views as well as an interactive where you might feel what it feels like to to touch an octopus sucker won't be a real octopus will be a you know will be a you know an interactive um, we are looking at experiences that help um, next to the animals bring to life some of those interesting adaptations things that just that you can't help but interact with. So it pulls you closer to the window because the octopus is often hiding. So making sure that as you get closer, you're like, I didn't realize it was in that corner. Um, the multi, the multi-species habitats are, are obviously a huge investment that we're making in this, as are things like we're building a new learning commons where currently our classrooms are in our basement. And our new learning commons is gonna be up adjacent to all of our exhibit galleries. And in that space, we hope to go, we intend to go from currently about 15% of our school groups interact with a learning specialist and might do a squid dissection or feel what hagfish slime is, is like. We now want almost, we want every school group to have that opportunity so that they can have more modalities than simply looking at exhibits to be able to touch, to get their hands wet, to, you know, to have really up close, perhaps animal encounters, but to also have really cool experiments that bring an, a feature of the animal to life. And that's really what it's all about. We also intend to do that in digital spaces as well as in nature. Um, it is stunning to me how many people in our urban center of Chicago, especially youth in the south and west sides of the city, which are typically underserved from, uh, you know, from from an educational perspective, how few of them have ever even seen Lake Michigan, one of the world's greatest resources for freshwater. We have to make nature real. We have to help people understand that there is nature in a city like Chicago, and with that, enrich the world that they live in and the possibilities that exist because of it. That's amazing. Uh, and you know, the, the entire centennial uh, commitment, this renovation and expansion, uh, and just hearing so much of it that goes into it, sounds really exciting. And I'm not just saying that because I have a membership, maybe that's a little bit of it. <laughs> Tying it into the audience insights and using guest feedback and leveraging that and, and making decisions, can we actually kind of walk back to say everything that, that you just shared right there, the inputs that went into making those decisions and determining that these are the priorities that we need to address and uh, how you were able to learn about those specific areas that, uh, that needed that particular focus. Sure. We started at the beginning of our work on the Centennial Commitment. Um, doing some human-centered research where we brought in a company called Digin. They were wonderful and they um, did a variety of different studies where they first of all shadowed a variety of guest groups with different group makeups. They might have been a family, they might have been adults visiting together. Um, they made sure that we kind of had a balance of how far they were commuting and whether they'd been to shed or not um, and, and made sure that we had a variety of diversities represented in the audiences that we were talking to. Um, and, and there were other studies, but this one was really foundational because it was that kind of human-centered study, which I find so valuable because they find the little things that you would never notice. Um, we, we have heard from multiple research studies that people need more to touch, to do, to feel, to listen to, to taste, to smell. <laughs> things that are really sensory. Um, we need different kinds of experiences that we need um, in the galleries and the historic spaces that we're renovating. We had what we called the shed shuffle happening, that there's a bunch of the same size windows next to each other with the same kinds of um, interpretation. And people would start by spending a length of time at each window and they speed up with every window they get to because it starts to become monotonous. And so making sure that those experiences, you know, have things like we have a sturgeon touch where you can feel an ancient fish and what it's, you know, what it's armor feels like um, next to kind of a play space next to an interactive. And so these, these human centered research activities drilled even further into it and gave us customer knowledge. 
For instance, we learned um, in, in, in more two different studies that the word conservation, which sits in our mission, which is really, really important to us, is a loaded term for people. Some communities are like, you are yelling at me all the time about conservation and I'm already doing it. I'm not necessarily doing it for the reasons you're asking me to do it, but yes, I recycle. Yes, I stopped using straws. I did all these things. And I don't feel like there's recognition in the conservation space. There's an awful lot of being asked, being told to do things versus you know, really being asked. From a brand perspective, we also heard someone say, I don't want to be a conservationist, but I'll be a warrior for the environment. And I was like, wow, that to me is like three steps further. So the language matters. And so having these human-centered researchers help you get the customer's way of talking about things to understand that acting for animals versus doing conservation might be a more inviting phrase. Um, that a brand that wants to to change the world side by side with people needs to be willing to stand side by side with people and solve together instead of having all the answers. That was one of the biggest takeaways that we had from that is Shed needs to be able to maintain its expertise, the science, everything that comes with that but also needs to be have a voice that's about solving problems with its community instead of for its community. And so those were some of the really foundational findings. And you know, there's decks of information and do people prefer to wander? Um, we found that most people came to the aquarium and didn't want a checklist. They wanted to just wander and find things and they had higher satisfaction when they did. So as much as a prescriptive path solves a lot of problems, um, I, I am advocating really strongly that the free choice at Shed is a win for most customers and um, that we should continue to offer, you know, and, and, and embrace that. So I would say that every good plan is made on the foundation of good data. Um, if there's anything specific you'd want to drill in on, um, those are some of the biggest pieces that set us on our course. Um, and really led us towards experiences that had more of those tactile, participatory, um, often facilitated experiences. Um, and that helped to shift from, I think one of the, the last thing I'd say is one of the biggest shifts that we talked about with this plan was Shed has long had a history of wanting to be, as we used to call it, the friendliest place in town. We wanna to be welcoming and a joyous place to go. As the world has shifted, as we've in more intently listened to our audiences, we can be as welcoming as we want, but we also have to make sure that our audiences feel like they belong here. And that is a big part of what we're trying to make sure we think of through thoughtful community partners, thoughtful program development, um, a reimagined entry and circulation experience so people feel in control of their visit. Um, all of those types of insights that are the enablers of an experience and enablers of mission, but critical path if someone's going to um, fully embrace the experience at Shed. That is so fascinating. And I love how that, that data is so practical, right? As you look at the things that you shared and how that can truly um, inform those decisions about what the guest experience might look like. Um, and even just understanding people's um, uh, thought process around the word conservation, because like you said, aquariums, zoos, you know, these cultural institutions that are really about conservation and, you know, living as, as a holistic species, you know, among, among nature, you know, that might not be the best word. So um, I would like to dive in a little bit more on uh, maybe some of those those topics, just in terms of other learnings that you took away from that, that study that maybe were kind of out of left field, like that, that conservation one, I think is really cool, but anything else that, you know, just even as a, as a, as a zoo or aquarium professional, you're like, really, that's, you know, just something like that. I, I'm just kind of, kind of curious on any of, any of those kind of insights. I really think the I think the conservation one was the biggest head scratcher. Okay. Um, there was the most dissonance in the feedback on that. We got a lot of like, I don't want to be told what to do. And we also learned that things that more elegantly um, kind of wove a conservation message in 
were more attractive. We had an installation for a while called Washed Ashore. Um, if you've ever seen it, it's all sculptures made of plastic that was found on beaches. So it really is our waste turned into beautiful art. People reacted to that so much more positively than maybe more deep, um, more deep kind of plastics driven without an element of entertainment. Um, I think one of the biggest things I, that has remained consistent through my whole career here at Jed is anytime the entertainment education continuum falls off balance, um, we're in trouble. And so I always hear kind of the, is it education or sh should this be educational or should this be entertaining? And, I, and the answer is yes, always both. <laughs> and um, I think that that has persisted as a, when things go off course, they've either gone too far down the educational route or too far down the entertainment route. And people who come to places like this, like the aquarium, do wanna walk away learning something but it better be fun and my, you better keep everyone in my group's attention the whole time and you better, it is still a leisurely day out. And so I don't know if that helps, but that's mm -hmm. that's the other thing that has never changed in any study I've ever looked at. Yeah, I, no, that's really interesting. And uh, and the the Wash to Shore exhibit, I, I remember that. And I think kind of talking about that as, as the the continuum or kind of the, the equilibrium point of, of education and entertainment, I remember it was, it, it was beautiful and kind of sobering at the same yeah. time of just, you know, it, it's, it's amazing that, that this exists because it's amazing art, but it doesn't exist for the right reasons because it was, you know, it was trash found in the ocean and, and all that right. it was, it was put to use in a way that, um, that can send the message without it being overly in your face. It is still, it's, it's an exhibit you're coming to enjoy and that that's kind of the, the built-in takeaway with it. I, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about too is um, the, you, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago, uh, you can be as welcoming as, as you want, uh, but you also want to make sure that people feel like they belong here. And you tie that in the like circulation of the building and kind of the entryway. And you, can you talk about how those physical or even structural or infrastructure elements lead to a guest feeling that they belong or feeling that they don't belong? Yeah, and and I will I will definitely admit that that the circulation is one small part of our our thinking on belonging, and there's a lot of thinking on the diversity, equity, inclusion um, space that I'll probably touch on in, as I talk about this. Um, but first, when you think about like a hierarchy of how someone experiences a place, um, one of the things I always kind of remind my team to think about is. No one ever, especially when you've got family in tow or other visitors in tow, no one ever wants to feel flat-footed. They don't want to feel like they got gypped. They don't want to feel like they did something wrong and have been foolish. They want things to be what they look like they should be. For instance, at Shed, we have an accessible entrance right now that you can only use because it's such a small, pragmatic, accessible entrance that was cut out of the side of the building in the 80s. Um, you are, we're using it more and more now since COVID because we're tightening up kind of where everyone goes in. But we at certain times of year post staff to tell people, this is for people with accessible needs. If you would like the main entrance, it's this way. And so we're dissuading people from going into the first entrance they arrived to, which most people wanna go in. I've long believed that organizations need to make things intuitive so that people feeling control of their visit. They shouldn't have to go find a staff to ask simple things. They shouldn't have to post people to encourage people to do something other than what is completely obvious that you should be doing, which is the first entrance you come to, of course, you're going to walk in. And so a lot of what we're doing with this whole experience is trying to make sure that people feel more in control. The, the new entrance, as an example, is a space that is at an accessible level and you walk in and you can see the route up to the historic aquarium building, down the hall to the oceanarium, or halfway down the hall to the elevator to our wild reef. Those are the oceanarium and, and Wild Reef are the two additions to the aquarium, which are totally separate buildings and require different kinds of navigation and are hard to find right now. 
it sounds very simple, but when you walk in, you will know your three main building options that you need to see before you leave. It, it is not simple now. <laughs> and it sounds like such a small thing, but it will take away a lot of the angst and a lot of the need for people to tell you things that should be obvious so that those people instead could be meeting you in front of a habitat and talking to you about making sure you don't miss that there's really amazing cuttlefish right around this corner that most people miss or that there's um, uh, you know, a flashlight fish experience down in, um, in, in our wild reef exhibit. And so, um, really making sure that that people know what to do is is just a simple I, I don't know how you feel but when i go in somewhere and the first three things go totally wrong i've already in my head moved to the place of today is not my day i'm not going to win this is going to be a bad day and so we want to make sure that they don't get there from the teai perspective we also are working really closely with communities across the city, especially in the south and west side, to think about, first of all, how shed can be in nature spaces that are currently in industrial corridors that break down barriers to those nature spaces too, and maybe encourage communities who haven't used them to, to, to learn how to use those spaces, to see the river as a place for recreating instead of a place that is simply the waterway between all of the different factories <laughs> and parking lots. Um, really making sure that we create a sense of belonging in nature spaces um, is gonna be really important for us and doing it alongside community groups that already have strong trust is our, you know, our most critical path. Um, those community groups will also be able to use and invited to use our learning commons as a gathering space, as a place for them to program and, and perhaps exhibit. Um, it'll be a kind of launch pad for both experiences on site at the aquarium and out in community. And so we're really working hard from staff levels, from community levels across the board to make sure that we are um, are. are doing all of the different things that we can do um, to build stronger relationships so that a sense of belonging is, is more reachable. You know, Megan, a lot of the, the ways that you were talking about the guest experience and, and moving through the facility got me thinking about a couple of recent experiences I had. And maybe I wanna ask this from a consumer point of view, right? So I'm thinking about this one um, museum I just went to in, in Tucson, Arizona. And I remember going in and immediately I wanted to be learning something, right? Like I didn't want to waste a moment of time, but I also knew that there was this kind of, I needed to get acclimated to the space. I needed to, and I'm, I'm definitely a wanderer, like you talked about, right? I'm, I'm, I wander around and I want to interact with people. I want to hear things. I'm not great at remembering things that I read, like on the plaques and things like that. Um, but I get this sense, and maybe I'm just wondering if I'm alone, that when I get in there, like it's, it's, I don't want to waste my time like you talked about. I know at the end of the day, I'm going to have a great experience and I'm going to learn a couple of things, but it's when I first get in there and I may be walking past something that, oh, there's something over there, but I don't want to miss that. And, you know, there's just, just that, how do I get the most out of that experience? I don't know if there's a question in there, but, you know, but just from a consumer standpoint, I want to make the most out of that, that experience. But at the same time, I don't know that I'm ready yet when I first get there. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Okay. Interesting because we've got a whole phased kind of customer journey thing that we've worked on from time to time. And one of, so two things, first of all, we, I, I didn't say this earlier, but when you talked about wanting to start right away, when you arrive, we are going to be also creating pathways into our gardens on campus. So even before you walk in the building, you can have an animal encounter, you can go into some nature playscape that is a place where you um, can walk right into a native garden and um, learn a little bit more about what is native to our area and perhaps have some interactive engagements. So there'll be a space to experience outside our building, whether you have tickets or not, that we think will be that appetizer for those who want to have an experience right away. And then 
most of our guests now have their tickets in hand, more than 80% do. So that arrival should be swift and fast. So they should like go right through that shoot and be able to get to a place where they can unpack and think about what they'd like to do. And we've never had a decompression space at the aquarium. And we are now building that in. When you come in and go right up our escalators or elevator to our foyer, it's where we currently have our ticketing and it's now gonna be programmed as a space where you could take in the architecture, you could sit there and plan your day with a guest relations staff member, or you can kind of sit down with your family and, and take your coats off and just get settled and start to figure out where you want to start and make sure that you feel as you go off to wander somewhat aware of the route instead of being thrown straight into an experience that you're not sure what you should be doing or that you're ready for it. So I think that decompression slash planning time is often under undervalued and is really important to that orientation and, and feeling like you know what you're about to do. That's really interesting. Uh, a, to hear Matt's perspective as a consumer and then tying it in, Megan, of how, how that is uh, yeah. moving into it. Uh, you did mention the the architecture in the lobby, and I, I think we could touch on this for a minute to the, the centennial commitment uh, emphasizes Shed's historical significance and almost, a, a, I see it as kind of an, an anchor in the city of Chicago and curious how with all of the, all of the new ways of experiencing Shed of preserving the historical significance that people are walking into a place that they know is uh it's it's not old in a sense of kind of oh okay here's an old museum but it's it's got that uh that historical significance to the city sure we are um strong stewards of our building it's one of our most lucky assets in that you don't build buildings like this aquarium anymore. I've been to many places. There are so few that have, um, if you've never been to Shed Aquarium, in like just super intricate aquatic details at every level of the architecture in our historic foyer, in our rotunda, that's all in the historic spaces that are being renovated. A lot of what we thought about was how do we honor those spaces and turn them into space that better reflect and celebrate the historic investment in, you know, huge doorways, temple-like doorways that are adorned with, you know, beautiful um, octopus and, and sea stars and all kinds of animals, chandeliers that have you know, turtles and octopus and stingrays and all of the other animals um, intricately woven into every single design choice in that foyer. And so turning it from a place where people are making decisions and buying tickets and, and all of that into a lobby, a true lobby where people can experience a program, can sit with their family, will have viewfinders and AR experiences that bring some of those animals to life. To, to just encourage people to really take in the majestic details of that space and to really celebrate the wonder of aquatic life. Um, all of those historic architectural details are really being looked at as how we can take like visual noise out of the space and make sure that those things can, can really sing, that those historical spaces um, can be wonderful. The new stuff, we're not looking to mimic the architecture. It, it is not necessarily an architectural best practice to try to rebuild something like you would have in 1929, um, but we are making sure that it complements it, that it doesn't distract from it, that our, our, our enhancement of the accessible entrance doesn't take away the primacy of our west-facing historic entrance and that that entrance will stay open for anyone who wants to use it. And so I think we've done a, I think that we've done a really careful job of making sure that we balance and honor the history while making sure that we use the interstitial spaces, the spaces between those historic spaces um, and the galleries um, kind of within their, within their um, exterior shells to build really modern experiences that take everything we've learned over all of the decades so that by our 100th anniversary, we are really set up for success for the next 100 years. So Megan, one of the things I'm curious about, I know you came from advertising into the, into the shed um, family. Um, before that, did you have any scientific background? Because you rattle this stuff off just like it's, 
you know, second nature. I'm sure having worked there for many, many years, that's, that's where it came from. But I'm just curious, like in your, in your background, even before that was science, something that you were, you were interested in? Oh, thanks for asking that. Thanks for saying that. That's a huge compliment. I feel like our scientists here <laughs> would enjoy hearing that. I, um, I've always loved science, loved my science classes, loved, um, I've, I recently found my parents um, were moving out of a house and found my fish book report from when I was eight years old and all of that. But I was I was an advertising major, so I definitely didn't pursue it at college, but I loved science and it's really neat to be at a place that your career allows you to intersect with all of the different careers that exist at SHED and that I get to keep learning. I've learned more things about animals over these years and also, um, especially over these last five years, so much more about what's at stake in our communities and what's at stake in our nature spaces in the city. Um, and I feel so optimistic about what a place like Shed Aquarium can do to just, man, the magic of if you don't know the lake exists and you don't know what's in that river and what it's like to kayak or to simply sit and look at water. Water is a restorative place for me, always has been. Um, it's a real shame if people don't know that that is available for them for free every day. And I think that we've just got such an exciting job to do in the next hundred years. Excellent. Uh, so we still have a, a few minutes left here. And another question uh, we're curious about is, and going back to the audience insights and really learning so much information from your guests is, do you have advice for other leaders throughout the attractions industry for how to best leverage guest feedback and be able to use that to make uh, a very big decisions within the organization and that, uh, that kind of steer the, uh, the future of the, of the business? Sure. Um, listen, walk around and listen to people. Don't worry if you don't have the dollars to do a big complicated study. You can learn a lot from your reviews, from talking to guests, from striking up a conversation and um, asking them, you know, direct questions about tell me a little bit about what you think about this thing I'm working on. Um, study whatever data is available to you. I had no idea how much I would love the numbers side of the business until I just start stu started studying it every day and starting to ask my colleagues, this looks different to me. Is this expected because it's a seasonal change or is this really different? Like, are we seeing a new trend? Are we seeing something change? Are there less kids, more kids, all of those pieces? Um, the more you become curious, the more you look at the secondary sources that you have, the more you read what people are saying on all of your social media posts or all of your review sites, there comes a point where all of a sudden you can, you really can see and think like your customers. You really can hear their voice at certain moments and go, oh, no, I don't think this is the right choice. And that's when you're really making progress. Um, when you do have the budgets to do research, really think about what your real research questions are and know what you're trying to find out and be ready to hear things that surprise you. Um, and always make sure you have a mix of the quantitative, but don't undervalue the qualitative. That one Gen Z individual who said, I don't want to be a conservationist, that ship has sailed, but I want to be a warrior for the environment is one of the biggest insights because it's said in customer speak, it's one of the most effective pieces of information I've received in the last year that I've been able to help people see ding, 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 language matters. And so I think just be really inquisitive, look things up, read, um, talk to people, hear what they say and, and, and ask you know, a little double clip question. Um, it's really rewarding and just such a fun job. So Megan, you just mentioned, you know, asking the right questions and being ready for some of that uncomfortable feedback. Um, how do you prepare yourself to be ready for that uncomfortable feedback or, or be ready for the unknown? I guess, to, I guess I'm an optimist. I am. To me, input is, is only like, it, it is like the, um, the baseline of information that we act from. And so, you know, for instance, over COVID, we had to close a variety of things because it, it wasn't, our interactive spaces had to close. And then we had an exhibit break and we, we had to, you know, 
we had to take care of the exhibit feature that had broken. And all of a sudden we got to a place that customers were saying too much is closed at Shed. The first reaction is always gonna be, we can't do anything about that or no, there's not too much closed. But if you really investigate it and say, well, are those guidelines still in place? Are there things that we can do to put more things out there? Can we get any of these on a faster pace or can we do anything to add or augment? Um, almost all input can be acted on pretty quickly and it feels like a win if you if you know that. Mm. Awesome, yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. One of the things I like to say all the time is whether the guest is right or wrong when they're providing feedback, they're the ones who are deciding whether they're going to come back and visit or what kind of review they're going to leave on TripAdvisor or Google reviews. And uh, if, if their perception was off that, you know, you, you can't just chalk it up to that being, uh, you know, them seeing it wrong. So I 100%. think that, yeah, that's really great guidance there. Uh, Megan, as we start to wind this down here, if people want to get a hold of you or if they want to learn more about Shed, where would you send them? Um, you can definitely go to shedaquarium.org. On our website, in the About Us section, there's a bio and contact information for me. Um, there also is a section on our centennial commitment, so you can drill into that and learn a little more about all that's happening, um, all the exciting things coming, as well as a few renderings of the new experiences. So Megan, I have do, just one uh, kind of closing question. Um, do you have a favorite exhibit or experience at the aquarium? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> Every day I have different ones. I absolutely love the leafy, or I'm sorry, the weedy sea dragons. Um, I love leafies as well. We don't have them on exhibit right now. Um, I also think that from a like place of peace that I love to go to is Wild Reef. Um, Wild Reef is an immersive, beautiful Philippine coral reef experience that is completely kind of floor to ceiling windows everywhere. Um, it, it is quiet and immersive and one of the places I think that you most naturally commune with animals. Um, it feels like diving, um, but you're walking and that's really spectacular. Um, and there is something special about penguins and beluga whales and sea lions. And so I can't pick one, <laughs> but those are all different animals I go to see for different reasons. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add to that too, that the underwater viewing and the dolphin habitat and, uh, and the belugas is absolutely, it, it's the first place I always go. We try to get there at opening so no one else is there. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Perfect time to go. Yeah, <laughs> Not exactly. too many people are there at that point. It's, You're safe. It's just calm. <laughs> it's very tranquil and, and relaxing. So I uh, can't wait till I get back to the aquarium. But in the meantime, Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. This was uh, phenomenal to be able to uh, speak with you here. And for everyone out there watching and listening, just remember, we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.